You are Locked On Rockets, your daily Houston Rockets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Dog days of the NBA calendar are officially upon us. So to scrape through the tidbits of information available these days and try and sort out what it all may mean, well, that's what we're going to do today here at Locked on Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose, Rockets correspondent with Sports Talk 790, the team's official radio flagship. In our show on this Wednesday, August 7th, We're going to recap and contextualize what we've heard over the past few days as it pertains to your Houston Rockets. First off, my apologies for not having a show since last week, but that's primarily because there hasn't been very much in the way of new information. Now, PJ Tucker is at training camp this week out in Las Vegas with Team USA, where he's getting ready for the upcoming World Cup. But really, unless he makes the final team, and we won't know that until late next week, there's not much of a direct Rockets angle to that. And besides international basketball, this is really the six-week stretch of the NBA calendar that I consider to be the dog days. Of course, most players stay in shape, but other than workouts, and sorry, after Hoodie Mellow last year, I'm done making a big deal out of off-season workout videos. Anyway, what I'm trying to get to with that is that other than workouts, players are generally spending their time this time of year with family and friends, because the NBA is going to be all-encompassing for months for these guys once training camp gets here in late September. And as far as free agency and trades, of course, the vast majority of that activity already took place in July. There are a few intriguing situations that are still left to monitor, including Andre Iguodala's standoff in Memphis, which we discussed in our last show. But I'm not really expecting anything immediate on that front, since the next real inflection point isn't until closer to the opening of training camp. That's on the assumption that the Grizzlies may not want to give that many reps or minutes to a 35-year-old and potentially unhappy Andre Iguodala once training camp gets here. Think back to what happened with the Knicks and Carmelo Anthony two years ago and how Oklahoma City got that deal done right before training camp. But my main point is that there's no real forces that would push a deal now. Maybe towards the end of August, a few more deals happen around the league because you have the wave and stretch deadline on August 31st. So maybe you get some new free agents or an opportunity to trade for some guys before they might get waived. Regardless, the point is the same. Be it at the end of August or right before training camp, we're not close now in early August to any of the key inflection points that tend to drive transactions. And as we all know, this is a deadline-driven NBA. Now, we will get at least some news relatively soon, thankfully, and that's the release of the upcoming NBA regular season schedule. It sounds like that will come either Thursday or Friday of this week, and whenever it does, of course, we'll have full reaction to all the Rockets' implications. We have had a couple of small leaks already, such as the Rockets playing at Golden State on Christmas, but the whole thing should be coming out shortly, so stay tuned for that. Anyway, given those factors and the reality that all that's really left on the free agent market right now is bottom-of-the-barrel type signings at the minimum, you might think that we don't have a whole lot to talk about. But even some of the smaller rumors that come out these days from what's left do have some potentially larger ramifications. As I see it, the key is to consider what the smaller puzzle pieces might tell you about the entire puzzle as a whole. In the case of the Rockets, the most recent name that's been on the offseason radar is 27-year-old big man Terrence Jones. 
As you may remember, Dave Hardesty, a clutch fans, reported back on the day of the Westbrook press conference in late July that the Rockets are looking to bring Jones back for this coming season. Now, to this point, there's not been an official deal announced, but that's probably because Terrence is still playing basketball. After leaving the Rockets in the spring, he signed a deal in the Philippines, and his team over there is currently in their championship series. So out of respect, he'll wait until that's over in a week or so before officially deciding on his next stop. But when he was asked this week about the Houston possibility and some of the reports by reporters out in the Philippines, well, let's just say he definitely didn't downplay it. He said it would be a, quote, blessing, unquote, to be in Houston. He said he hopes he's on the team. So I think we can read between the lines on that one. Anyway, I know the name Terrence Jones isn't going to excite a lot of folks. We all know his story, 2012 draft pick of the Rockets, first rounder. He had glimpses of tantalizing potential, but issues with inconsistency, his motor. Eventually in 2017, he washed out of the NBA. The last couple of years, he's rebuilt his profile, basically going overseas and also in the G League. At this point, he's a big man who can shoot. He is still athletic, six foot nine, and only 27 years old. Feels like he should be older than that, given all the experience he's had with the Rockets. By the way, he did have a couple of 10-day contracts with the Rockets in the spring, as we mentioned, but he didn't get much playing time, so it was really hard to evaluate him based on those circumstances. And after the second 10-day elapsed, the Rockets couldn't sign him to a third 10-day, and it probably wasn't worth giving a roster spot at that point, especially with the Daniel House Jr. situation still in flux. So since then, he's been playing internationally. That's largely where he's rebuilt his profile the last couple of years, along with Anthony Bennett in the G League. That's another recent Rockets signing after the Russell Westbrook trade. We'll talk in a few moments about how all of that might be connected. But the reason I mentioned the G League in particular for Jones and also for Anthony Bennett, who's a similar reclamation project, Bennett, the number one overall pick in the 2013 draft, a six foot eight guy who, like Jones, has played the majority of his NBA career as a power forward, but in a Mike D'Antoni system, especially given his ability to shoot, you might get see him as a small ball five at times, the same way we saw with Kenneth Freed, hashtag stretch Freed, once those threes got going in January and February after the Rockets picked up Kenneth midway through the season. And so I think what the Rockets are hoping for is that one of those guys pans out as your third team center behind Clint Capella and Tyson Chandler. Perhaps they're even mobile enough to pick up some of the power forward minutes behind P.J. Tucker as well. We'll have to see how things shake free in training camp. I think, honestly, they see these guys, Anthony Bennett, who's already in the fold, and Terrence Jones, who apparently they're looking to sign as basically lottery tickets, very talented players who, even though it feels like they've been around a while, they're only in their 20s, so there's a lot of size, athleticism, and now you have guys that have really restored their shooting. That's where there's really a link between Terrence Jones, Anthony Bennett, and what we've seen the Rockets do really the entire offseason since adding Russell Westbrook, and that's look for additional shooting. Both above 40% from three at the G League level last season. They were basically the two best stretch bigs that were out there, and they're both young enough to where, I don't know if you would call them prospects, but there's enough talent to see them at least as intriguing fits from a depth perspective at the end of your bench and hope that maybe in the right circumstance and certainly playing with two of the last three MVPs and James Harden and Russell Westbrook, you should get some pretty open shots, some easy opportunities, and hopefully at least one of those two guys can take advantage. What's intriguing to me isn't just Anthony Bennett or Terrence Jones in a vacuum. I'm not trying to hype you guys up and say, wow, we should be really excited about one or both of these guys. 
No, what's really telling about it, in my opinion, is that it reflects what the Rockets are trying to do overall and the emphasis that we're now seeing on shooting. And I'm sure some of you are listening to this and thinking, Ben, weren't the Rockets already emphasizing threes? They tied and then set a new NBA record for made threes in the game last year. We know Gerald Morey, Mike D'Antoni, the threes, free throws, and layups philosophy. Yes, they've always looked at it as crucial from a math perspective. They've known that for a while. But what's different now with the addition of Russell Westbrook, and I do think some of what they're looking for is correlated with this, is how dependent now the Rockets are from an X's and O's perspective on guys that can space the floor, especially up front at the four and particularly the five spots. That's where I think if at least one of Terrence Jones or Anthony Bennett pans out, that they could really benefit. Of course, to some degree, the Rockets were dependent on floor spacing, but really with James Harden and Chris Paul, it wasn't as essential. Now with Russell Westbrook, whose game is all about going downhill and attacking the rim, you really, really need that additional floor spacing. And I think that's what the Rockets are trying to get with Anthony Bennett. And if they bring him in, Terrence Jones. What's different, in my opinion, when you look at the 2019-2020 Houston Rockets relative to the last two years, and really we'll say the first three of Mike D'Antoni in Houston, is that in the first three, the Rockets didn't have a playmaker that was so dependent on getting to the rim as Russell Westbrook is. And I think that's why the first three years, you have seen players that have not been great shooters get time in this system. Think back to year one. Corey Brewer was a fan favorite, and well, I don't know if he was a fan favorite, what I meant to say, he was a coach's favorite of Mike D'Antoni. Certainly Rockets Twitter was not enamored with Brewer towards the end of his time here in Houston, but Mike D'Antoni raved about it. They liked him even though he wasn't really a three-point shooter. Nene, as your backup five, no one would mistake him for a three-point shooter. And look at the beginning of last year, we saw what the Rockets at least tried to do with Michael Carter-Williams. In the past, I think they thought they could get away with one or two spots not having shooters because the mainstays, the guys that are doing the lion's share of the heavy lifting, the first year of Mike D'Antoni, that was basically James Harden by himself, a little bit of Eric Gordon, and the last two years, James Harden and Chris Paul, it wasn't really all about getting to the rim for those guys. For James Harden, sure, once in a while, he'll have his nosebleed dunk. He's capable of doing that, and it's important to keep opposing defenses honest to make them respect his ability to attack the cup. But over the regular season, you really don't see him attacking the rim all that often. Now, some of it may be to preserve his body over the 82-game grind. You don't want to see him put himself through too much of a pounding. I think that's a real consideration, especially with James turning 30 this month. I think that's part of the calculus. But whatever the reason You don't really see him attacking the rim all that frequently. When you really think about James Harden, the two biggest moves in his arsenal the last couple of years, the first is obviously the step back three. And the second, I would say, is the floater. You don't really see him having too many tomahawk jams anymore the way you did earlier in his career. He's about trying to get that three. Of course, he's trying to draw fouls because that's very efficient. And he's really perfected that floater game. He's able to have success, certainly behind the arc, but also in those in-between areas. The same applies for Chris Paul. In terms of CP's role the last couple of years, certainly he's a very good catch-and-shoot guy playing off of James Harden. But when he was the primary ball handler, be it in the pick-and-roll or more commonly in isolation, it's either about, and this is especially the case with his diminishing athleticism now at 34 years old, either he's trying to do the so-called rock-the-baby move to 
get off that three against an opposing big, get a little bit of separation on the perimeter. Or he's trying to create a bit of separation, start and stop on a dime in the mid-range areas, where notoriously over Chris Paul's Hall of Fame career, he's been lethal. You never really saw Chris Paul attack the rim that much. To begin with, he never did it even in his prime all that frequently because he's always been relatively small, even for his position. But also at this point in his career, he just doesn't have the burst, the explosion that he once had. So you never really saw him attacking the rim all that frequently. And by the way, I think that's a big part in why you never saw Chris Paul and Clint Capella have the on-court connection that a lot of people expected them to. One of the more frequent questions I always get on Twitter from Rockets fans is, or was when Chris Paul was here, why aren't CP3 and Capella better lob partners? I think the biggest reason for it, certainly at first glance, it sounds odd because Clint Capella, we see him, especially with James Harden, be a great finisher in the lob game. And Chris Paul is one of the best point guards and passers of all time. And you would think that you could just merge those together. But in reality, the most frequent way that a lob comes about in the NBA, you have someone who beats his man, or perhaps it's coming around a screen, whatever the case, you have someone that's going downhill and a second defender feels compelled to cut them off. They want to stop the penetration, do something to stop that guy from getting to the bucket. And then they simply flip it over a lob to the guy who comes in to help defenders man. In many cases, that's Capella out of the dunker slot. Well, when it's James Harden, at least, coming downhill and you have Capella's man come over to try and cut him off, and then there's Clint out of the dunker spot ready to flush it, especially if the rotation isn't coming over as quickly as it should. Perhaps there's some hesitation weak side because of all the Rockets shooters. P.J. Tucker at the four helps a lot with that. He's another guy that the Rockets certainly depend on a lot from a shooting perspective, and I think that's why they want even more guys like that with Anthony Bennett and Terrence Jones, at least in terms of their shooting. Anyway, getting back to CP3 and what's different now, even though Chris was a great passer, I don't think defenses really feared his ability to get to the rim. It wasn't like when Chris Paul, even if he was able to blow by his man on the perimeter, which did not happen all that much, especially this past year because of his diminished athleticism, even if that happened, it wasn't like you had other guys because of his size or his quickness, those things just weren't really enough to drive fear. So you didn't really have that help defender coming, which would make the lobs possible. Now, the flip side is that Chris was still able to be a very good and effective player because even though you know he didn't really have that downhill gravity, so to speak, well, he was still a good three-point shooter. He did still have his mid-range game. And so even though he couldn't really attack the rim the way he could in his prime, and even in his prime, he was never that much of a rim attacker. But the point is, Chris Paul had enough of a diverse game, especially in terms of his passing and his shooting. He could survive even without drawing the defense in like that and being a lob passer to Clint Capella. With Russell Westbrook, it's not like that. And by the way, I think Russell Westbrook and Clint Capella, for this reason, will have much more of a connection in the lob game. Once Westbrook starts going downhill and Capella's in that dunker slot, I think you're going to see help defenders feel that they have to commit a lot more than they did when it was Chris Paul going downhill. And so I think Westbrook and Capella will have a connection fairly quickly. So that's the upside. Westbrook, because of his athleticism, his size, his explosiveness, even though he's going to be 31 years old next year, the data shows that he's finishing at the rim as well as ever. He is in peak form, the prime of his career when it comes to his bounce. 
his explosion. He strikes fear in the heart of defenses when he is going downhill. And that's when he's at his best. When he's going downhill and he can either finish at the rim or he draws attention and then he can dump it off Clint Capella, hopefully for a lob. That's when Westbrook can be a star. That's when he can be really, really good. Certainly, you also want to get out and transition more, something closer to the first year of Mike D'Antoni in Houston with James Harden when they played at a much faster pace than the last two years after they acquired Chris Paul. That's important, too. But even in the half court, transition's easy to spot. But even in half court, the difference is that with Chris Paul and James Harden, you didn't necessarily need all that spacing. You certainly needed some of it, but it wasn't an absolute premium because worst case, Chris and especially James, they're certainly capable of pulling up from 15 feet or even 25 feet and still making something happen themselves. With Russell Westbrook, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's not a good mid-range guy at all. He's very inefficient at that. Now, he can be a good catch-and-shoot three-point guy, Westbrook in this case, but I don't think he's someone that you want pulling up at all. And so that's why the Rockets probably do need to reconfigure their offense. A show last month right after the deadline or right after the Westbrook trade, excuse me, I did it with Matt Moore, a.k.a. HP Basketball, on Twitter. He talked about the Rockets needing to rebuild their offense. And besides the obvious of pushing pace more, I think in the half court, this is the dynamic that he was referring to. The Rockets are going to have to find ways to put Westbrook in a position to get to the rim. And this is where spacing is even more critical, not just because it's a smart math shot, but from an X's and O's perspective, what's the easiest way to stop an athletic guard like Russell Westbrook in the modern NBA? It's typically to pack the paint. How do you unpack the paint and not have those help defenders in there? If you have shooters out in the corners, or maybe in Capella's case, even though he's not a shooter, he does provide vertical spacing. So at least it's something with the lob game that'll give the defender, the help defender, at least a moment's hesitation. But that's what I think the Rockets need to be thinking about. And the good news is that Russell Westbrook realizes this as well. There's been a number of reports since the trade that said he wanted Houston as a destination, not just because of James Harden, but also because of Mike D'Antoni's system, and specifically because of the shooters, the depth of them, and how it opens up or should open up driving lanes. That's in great contrast to Oklahoma City when they didn't have enough shooters, and in many ways, especially against the more athletic, longer teams, it forced Westbrook into taking more inefficient mid-range shots and from three, because there just wasn't the ability to get to the rim with regularity when those teams packed the paint. The hope is that in Houston, certainly with P.J. Tucker at the four, but maybe even you steal some minutes with Anthony Bennett or Terrence Jones at the five, and you really open up that floor to let Westbrook do what he does best, which is get to the rim. That's what, in my opinion, is new, and that's what these moves tell us. Certainly, the Rockets always like shooting threes because it's a smart shot, but now from an X's and O's perspective, they need it. Now, I'm not saying that there's no role for a more traditional approach. I'm sure some are asking, Ben, how does Clint Capella fit into this? Because he's not a shooter by any means. No, but as said earlier, he does provide some element of spacing. It's not floor spacing, which is the most efficient. You have someone 25 feet away that has the gravitational pull, like, say, Ryan Anderson a couple of years ago before he ended up being washed. When Anderson was 25, 27 feet away, that meant a lot for James Harden. So I think if you have that dynamic with Anthony Bennett or Terrence Jones, I don't know if you can expect him to be as good as Rhino was, but even just a small fraction of that, it would certainly help. That's the most ideal way to have spacing. But the vertical spacing of Capella in the lob game out of that dunker slot, that can help a lot. It at least makes the defender pause, think about, well, if I come over and help on a Westbrook or a Harden running downhill to the rim, then what am I leaving behind? That's what you want. So Capella, with his athleticism and size, 
while he's not a shooter, he at least provides some element of spacing to your offense. The other factor with Capella is that his defense and rebounding, he's so uniquely valuable to the Rockets on that side of the floor because there's no one else of his size, his athleticism, the ability to be a rim protector or to grab loose balls, rebounds, that you may have to, at times, accept that you're a little bit worse with Capella not being able to space the floor out to three-point range. Well, you just may have to live with that at times, especially in a lot of matchups, just because you need that presence in the middle. But behind Capella, that's where it gets interesting. Now, certainly there are some matchups where Tyson Chandler makes a lot of sense. I think that's why they brought him in as an NA replacement. But I don't think it's a guarantee that he's always going to be the backup center. Now, certainly he's in year 19. There's going to be a lot of games over to the 82-game grind in which Chandler just gets a maintenance game, period, independent of matchups. But I also think there are going to be some where the Rockets just say, hey, to really play to the strengths of guys like Russell Westbrook, who now Westbrook and Harden, it's the faces of your franchise, you may not need that more traditional center. You may want to go with someone like a Terrence Jones or an Anthony Bennett that's a little more unconventional, smaller, but is able to space the floor and really maximize. That's why Russell Westbrook wanted to come to Houston. And that's key, in my opinion. It shows you that he has the self-awareness to realize what his strengths and his weaknesses are. And perhaps one of these guys, Bennett, who's already here, and Jones, who it sounds like could be on the way once the Philippines finals end over the next few days, well, that's where they could play a role. So I think that's the perspective to keep in mind with these moves. It's not so much that the Rockets are banking on either Terrence Jones or Anthony Bennett being rotation players. I think they see them both as lottery tickets, and you just hope that now that you have two guys basically competing for the same role, that third team center, maybe a few power forward minutes as well, maybe one of them will pan out. There's reasons why they're available at the minimum. There's reasons why they didn't succeed in their first go-round in the NBA. So at the end of the day, don't get too hyped on either one of these guys in a vacuum. But what I think is really interesting about this is how it ties in to the Rockets sort of rejiggering their offense a little bit after adding Russell Westbrook and what I think they need. The three-point shot has always been big for the Rockets from a math perspective. Well, after adding Russell Westbrook, I think it's crucial from an X's and O's perspective as well. And in my opinion, signing Anthony Bennett and if they do it, Terrence Jones plays into that evolving strategy as the Rockets map out certainly the rest of their offseason. But it could tell you something about the types of guys they look to acquire during the season, trade deadline, buyouts, those types of considerations as well. To me, that's the real moral of the story as it pertains to the signing of Anthony Bennett and the potential signing of Terrence Jones. All right, jumping back into the program here at Locked on Rockets. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose. We're chatting on this Wednesday, August 7th. It's a slow period in the NBA outside of international basketball. Rockets forward P.J. Tucker, he's out in Las Vegas with Team USA getting ready for the upcoming World Cup. Well, he's actually not the only Rocket that's getting ready, or I should say a player that the Rockets hold the rights to, that's getting ready for the upcoming World Cup. Now, certainly earlier in the offseason, we anticipated that James Harden and Eric Gordon, at one point, both of those guys were slated to be on Team USA. They've since pulled out as they get ready for the upcoming NBA season for PJ, who hasn't been a part of any national team since, I believe, 2004. And that was a U-20 team. It's been a long time. So this is a unique opportunity for PJ, who still don't know if he's going to make the final roster. But certainly at his point, 34 years old, he hasn't had that much time left. It's a unique opportunity. So I see why PJ wants to 
continue doing this, and we certainly wish him the best. But there's also a guy who the Rockets hold the NBA rights to that I know a lot of fans are going to hear this name and recoil a bit, but it could be worth monitoring, and that's guard Sergio Yule out of Spain. Now, I think a lot of you know the story by now. The Rockets acquired his rights in the 2009 NBA draft, which means that as we're talking in August 2019, it's now been over 10 years, and he's had plenty of opportunities to come over to the NBA during those 10 years, and it still has not happened. Well, why are we talking about him today? Well, first, he is someone to watch. And besides the World Cup, Spain and Team USA actually have an exhibition game next Friday. That's the top two teams in the world, so it'll be fun. It could be Yule against PJ Tucker. Well, it should be because the final U.S. roster doesn't come out until the next day. So barring injury, I think Tucker will at least play some. And Yule has been a mainstay of the Spanish team, the number two squad in the world for quite some time. He's now 31 years old. And again, the Rockets have held his rights for 10 years. To this point, he stayed over there in Spain with his club team, Real Madrid. And I know a lot of Rockets fans have lost hope on him ever coming. Well, the reason we're talking about him today, in the lead up to the Spanish team's performance at the World Cup, they're going through their own training camp. He did an interview earlier this week, either Tuesday or Wednesday with the Spanish press, in which someone asked him about the NBA. And he made it clear Yule, that is, that he is not ruling out the NBA. He's not closing the door. Beyond that, he said that he appreciated the Rockets and their patience with him, that they didn't pressure him. We know Gerald Morey, despite nearly everyone involved with the Rockets media, on Twitter, being pessimistic, the closest the Rockets got to signing Yule was in the summer of 2015. Everyone treated it as a foregone conclusion, but then at the 11th hour, he chose to stay. Well, since then, even though everyone else has been a lot more pessimistic, Yule himself, he hasn't ruled anything out. There's been a few reports that at least at one point in his career, he'd consider doing this. And Daryl Morey has stayed optimistic. Every year, he's gone over at least once to Spain to scout him, to stay in touch. There's certainly a good relationship there. That's why I think the Yule quotes about the Rockets, liking them as an organization, good feelings, the vibes are still there. I think that's step one towards ever having a deal. But also, Daryl has pointed out, and there are several examples, Arvidas Sabonis is clearly one, a guy who came over in his 30s and still had an NBA impact, but Pablo Prigioni, who had some effective years in the NBA in his late 30s, including that playoff run with the Rockets in 2015, and Daryl Morey acquired him. There have been a few guys who don't come over until their 30s from wherever they are internationally, usually Europe, and still have success. And you can't really judge them. I know a lot of Rockets fans, they feel jilted at this point, but this isn't like a free agent who has several opportunities to pick you, doesn't, and it becomes clear that for whatever reason, he just doesn't want your franchise. No, when you're talking about an international guy, you're asking him to move across the world to a new city, a new country, a new culture, uproot his life. Yule in Spain, he's been a EuroLeague MVP. He's basically the LeBron James of Spanish basketball at the moment. It's his home. He's happy. It's a lot to ask him to give up. And just because time isn't right at age 26 or 27, well, he might be at a different point in his life, like, say, right now when he's 31 years old. Things do change. And this isn't a matter of, even though it's been 10 years, it's not like you can say that, well, it's not going to happen because Jewel doesn't like the Rockets. No, I think that's far too simplistic of a view of this situation. It's way more nuanced than that when you're talking about an international player and you have to be patient. 
And the other reason why I'm monitoring him, especially in the wake of these new comments, I don't think the Rockets would have much, if any, value for Yule as a trade ship. At this point, with him being in his 30s, and he did have an ACL tear a couple of years ago, but aside from the age and the injury concerns, really, it's just the fact that there's been so long, so many opportunities for him to come to the NBA, and he never has. I don't really see Sergio Yule's NBA rights as all that lucrative in a trade. I think most people will believe it when they see it in terms of Yule coming over and then being an impact player in the NBA in his 30s. So even though a lot of Rockets fans are frustrated with the situation, I actually don't think the upside play is to deal him. I think the upside play is actually to keep his rights and then maybe down the line, there's a hole for him and he's ready to come over and fill it. And to that end, it is noteworthy that Yule is saying that he's not closing the door to the NBA. The five-year contract he signed a few years ago with Real Madrid and only has two years left on it. He becomes a true free agent right now in 2021. And even if you know the Rockets or someone else tries to acquire him before that, well, you'd have to think that the buyout's a little more manageable. And in terms of Yule making the move, he just is inherently a lot more likely to consider it if he's close to the end of his contract anyway, which is a point in which a lot of guys do consider their options. And Generally, when asked about it the last few years, Yule has said that he intends to play out his current contract. Well, now that current contract is already over half gone. After this coming season, it'll be 80% gone. And perhaps it is a point in which he starts to explore his other options. So that's why if he can be an effective NBA player, and we don't know that, that's what the next month could tell us. Watch how he plays against the U.S. and a lot of other NBA quality competition in the World Cup. Let's see how he fares. It's an intriguing storyline to watch. But I would not, as frustrating as it's been over the past few years, to constantly hear Sergio Yule, will he come over? And then he never does. I get it, but I would not rule him out. Now, I would rule him out for this year, barring something unexpected like a major trade. I think all of the backcourt minutes are spoken for. You're not going to see Yule go from not wanting to come over, even when the Rockets are offering him a clear role and minutes, to all of a sudden coming over just to be the 12th man. Right now, it's not just Russell Westbrook and James Harden. It's that the backcourt minutes behind your two starting guards are spoken for by guys like Austin Rivers and Eric Gordon, who are very, very qualified. Next summer, however, both of those guys are currently slated to be free agents. If one or both of those guys ends up moving on for any reason, or who knows, perhaps the Rockets, if they can't come to terms on an extension with Eric Gordon, maybe at some point in the year, they look to trade him to recoup some value or maybe use his bird rights to negotiate a sign and trade in free agency next summer. Point is, if they can't come to terms on a deal with EG, maybe another backcourt spot does open up that Sergio Yule would be an option internally to fill. Now, I know they'd have to convince him. And from a financial standpoint, he wouldn't come over to the minimum. You'd have to give him your exception. Theoretically, this year, you could still bring him over. You do have your non-taxpayer MLE if you choose to use it, although I think the Rockets are earmarking that for Andre Iguodala, as we talked about last week. I just think that this year is very unlikely because of the presence, assuming health, of Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Austin Rivers, Eric Gordon. Where are the minutes going to come from? Next year, though, with Rivers and especially Eric Gordon, their futures unclear in Houston, there could be an opening. And if you want to maximize Sergio Yule, the most upside there is to having his rights is to eventually bring him over and see what he's got in Houston. It's not to trade him, because I just don't think at his age and with how many times he's turned down opportunities to come to the NBA that he's going to have a lot of value in trades. I'd love to be wrong. I just don't expect that to happen. The offside play for the Rockets is to potentially 
have him in bank as an internal replacement should a guard spot open up. The only question, and this is what the next month is going to tell us, well, there are two questions. First off, will he come? I mean, that's the obvious question, but let's go with the hypothetical that he thinks he's accomplished all he can in Spain. He's won MVP awards, he's won championships, and like a lot of guys in their 30s who have played internationally, they realize they've only got a few prime years left that they finally want to go to the NBA and see if they can make it work. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. And it sounds like he certainly has not ruled out that scenario. The question for the Rockets is if you feel confident that he is going to be immediately almost an NBA rotation player. That's where this has gotten a little more challenging than a few years ago. If this was, say, a Sergio Yule in his mid-20s, you could bring him along slowly. You could almost treat him like a prospect. You might give him a lower salary, but certainly once you get him over here, you could develop him within your system. You could be patient. Maybe even you could send him to the G League at times. Basically treat him like any young prospect. Isaiah Harton signing Gary Clark, although they're big men, last season. Chris Clemens, the way I expect the Rockets to handle him this coming year. You could be very patient and develop him within your system. If you bring in a 32-year-old Sergio Yule, and he's 31 now, and I'm assuming the earliest they'd look at bringing him over is in 2020, you don't do that as a developmental play. If you bring in someone at that age and with the financial resources, I don't think he commands a ton, but I think he could certainly get more than the minimum. You'd have to give an exception, which could otherwise go and bring you an impact player on the market. If you do those things, both financially and using a roster spot with a guy of his age and giving him the role that it would take to lure him out of a really good situation in Spain where he's the star, he's happy, all of those things have to line up. Well, for that to make sense for the Rockets, you have to feel really good that this is not just an experiment. This is a guy that you believe is ready to be an NBA rotation player. That might be the case, but I think the next month will tell us a lot about that because the competition in the Spanish leagues, it's not bad, but it's not the NBA. I want to see how Yule stacks up next Friday against Team USA. And then especially in a month where you have to imagine that Spain and the U.S. will be favorites to get to the gold medal game because they're far and away the top two ranked teams internationally in the FIBA rankings. That's something to watch. And of course, there are other teams. Australia is one that I can think of. But there's lots of NBA quality players around the world. Even though Team USA, you've seen a lot of top players pull out because the World Cup isn't held in quite the same prestige as the Olympics next summer. Around the world, you're seeing a lot more commitment. So certainly the Spain-USA matchups, but really anytime Yule goes up against NBA quality competition over the next month in World Cup play or exhibition games leading up to it, how does he stack up? Because that's the question. I can see a path both in terms of Yule in his career. I could see him saying, hey, I've accomplished all that I can accomplish at this level. He's more mature. Maybe he's ready now to make the trip across the world and start anew. His quotes suggest that he's at least open to the idea. All of that is possible, and I could see it happen under the right circumstances. The question at this point is whether it makes sense for the Rockets. So while I don't think the Rockets have closed the door to Yule either, I also don't think that they know that this is something that would be worth, say, giving up their mid-level exception or a portion of it, because I don't think the minimum is going to get it done. I don't know that you'll ever 100% know until you see him in the NBA, if and when that point ever comes. But I do think, number one, having his rights, it does potentially provide you an internal replacement in case something happens bad in free agency next year with Eric Gordon or Austin Rivers. It's a nice insurance card to hold. So I think it's something the Rockets should consider. But I think, especially the next month, I know Joe Morey has scouted 
you'll a lot with Real Madrid, but that's not always against NBA competition. The next month, this is a great time. And while I don't think it's this year, we could be approaching a point in the next couple of years, much like many other international players who finally gave it a go, the NBA that is in their 30s after accomplishing so much internationally and having really nothing left to do, we could be approaching the point. I don't think it's this year, probably you know a year or two from now, certainly by 2021 when his contract expires. But this certainly this summer, the World Cup and next year, the Olympics, although there may be an NBA decision before that, given the fact that free agency starts on July 1st. So this upcoming World Cup, it could be important for Yule in a number of ways. Certainly wants to play well for his team, for the Rockets. They need to make an evaluation. If they're going to use Yule, they need to feel pretty confident that he's going to work out. Well, the next couple of weeks, I know it's not an immediate addition, and I know a lot of Rockets fans are probably rolling their eyes through this segment if you haven't fast-forwarded already because you're sick of hearing about Sergio Yule. But there could be a scenario. There's a reason why both Rockets and Yule, neither side, has rolled this out. There could be something coming to a head over the next year or two. It's not this offseason, but when you consider the contract situations of guys like Eric Gordon and Austin Rivers, it could be a relevant variable in the next year or so. And to that end, the next month could tell us a lot about just how ready Yule potentially is to take on that type of role should one become available in Houston. All right, final segment here at Locked on Rockets on this Wednesday, August 7th. As always, I'm your host, Ben DuBose. Really appreciate you guys for tuning in. I'll make this quick because we went on a little long with our first two segments. We usually try and wrap this up, the show that is, in about 30 minutes. The last point I wanted to make involves the minimum signing somewhere other than Houston and really outside of the entire Western Conference that you might think has no Houston angle at all, and that's Vince Carter to the Atlanta Hawks. And directly, no, there's no Houston angle other than Myself and a few other media members, we speculated over the possibility of Carter with even at 42, he'll be 43 years old. Even at that age, he's still a really good three-point shooter, was above 40% for the majority of last year. And we speculated on him last year of his NBA career. He's basically announced that already, wanting to win an NBA title. And Houston, a system that needs three-point shooting, we speculated that could be a good fit for Carter potentially. And of course, he ended up going back to the Hawks on a minimum salary. We don't know for a fact that Houston offered him a minimum deal, but certainly it wouldn't shock me if they at least explored the concept. In fact, I'd be very surprised if they did not at least have a few conversations on that front. Otherwise, he makes too much sense, both in terms of what he can provide as a shooter and also a really good and proven locker room guy. Great to have around your younger players. Anyway, the reason the Atlanta situation with Vince is so intriguing to me, it'd be one thing if Carter did not sign in Houston. And by the way, Clutch fans, Dave Hardesty, he reported on the day of the Westbrook press conference, he asked his source with the Rockets about Luke Bamute and Vince Carter in particular. And the response was that those two were wanting more certain situations than the Rockets could give. All the Rockets could offer in terms of their minimum deals was come and earn it in training camp. And that's why guys that have been relative bust, like Anthony Bennett and presumably Terrence Jones, who seem to be fits, they're a little more desperate, to put it mildly as opposed to a guy who's, even though it's been in bad teams the last couple of years, like Sacramento and Atlanta, Vince is a lot more proven. But what's interesting about Carter and Atlanta, it's not as if Vince potentially turned down the Rockets for another contender, like we've seen the Lakers and the Clippers get so many bargain guys because they're now the it destination, being in Los Angeles, perceived contenders, filling the gap that the Warriors used to have with some of these veteran ring chaser types. 
I don't think either of those teams is anywhere near the level of the former Warriors, but at least from a perception standpoint in terms of desirability, certainly playing basketball and living in Los Angeles, California, has a lot to do with that. We've seen them at the front of the line for a few of these veteran ring chaser types. If Carter had gone there, it would have been frustrating on a couple of levels, certainly seeing him go to one of your competitors. And of course, having yet more evidence that maybe they're ahead of the Rockets when it comes down to the desirability of franchises for these ring chasers, because this is going to be a theme not just now, but during the year once buyout season gets here. However, to see Carter go to Atlanta and what's his last year in the NBA and a guy who has not won a title yet, and you never know, maybe he gets bought out and goes somewhere else during the year. You can't rule that out. But for now, and this jives with what we heard from Carter's camp throughout free agency, he wants to play. He wants guaranteed minutes. And that's what's really interesting and could have implications. And it's not just Vince. We've seen this, you know, you go back to the deadline. The Rockets, after the trade deadline this year, they went into the buyout market with the mid-level exception, a slight financial leg up or what was left of their taxpayer mid-level exception. But Markeith Morris went to the Thunder for the minimum and Wes Matthews went to the Pacers for the minimum because these guys saw more of a clear pathway to minutes. And in the case of Matthews and Morris, they're trying to reestablish themselves their market value for the upcoming free agency with Vince Carter because he's retiring. It's not even about that. He just wants to play. So I think what this tells you now, certainly all things being equal, having more money and the Rockets, as we discussed last week, could have their non-taxpayer MLE to splurge on if, say, an Andre Iguodala, the perfect fit becomes free, something like that, where the Rockets could certainly use some more wing defense. I would think they would bet on splurging for something like that, especially with, again, Dave Hardesty Clutch fans reporting that the Rockets do see Iguodala as someone worth going into the luxury tax for. But in terms of these minimum guys, what it reminds you is that it's not what a lot of us thought. Now, of course, it's case by case, and there are some that might prefer to be the 11th or 12th man on a perceived contender. But for the most part, it comes down to minutes. Vince Carter, even though he's not going to be a free agent next summer because he's retiring, he just wants to play. And that's why in his last year, he's playing for Atlanta over a contender. Certainly Houston, I'm sure others had interest as well. That's how strong of a desire these guys have to play. And it's not just Vince. We saw it in buyout season with Wes Matthews and Marquis Forrest as well. So that's what's important to keep in mind moving forward. Now, you can hope and case by case, some may have a different viewpoint. But when you're asking, Ben, why don't the Rockets sign so-and-so? When you're thinking along those lines, it's not just that the Rockets, if a deal doesn't materialize, it's not that the Rockets aren't trying. A lot of the time, it just comes down to even these veteran types, they enjoy playing. They want an opportunity to get obvious minutes. And with the Rockets, we went through our minutes distribution exercise last week. There's really not that many to give out. This rotation is getting full in a hurry. So that's the biggest reason why, in my opinion, you're seeing the minimum deals go to more experimental types like Anthony Bennett and perhaps Terrence Jones, if that gets to the finish line. That, to me, is the takeaway from the Carter to Atlanta. And again, you know, he's just one guy, but it reflects what we've seen a lot. And going forward, how do the Rockets respond to this? Again, it's about the role. Now, of course, it's always case by case. And you have to listen to them, and some may have a different viewpoint. I understand that. But generally, it's especially at the bargain basement level, a slight bump in pay isn't as important to these guys as being happy. They're already playing for a very low salary anyway. To these guys, they want to be happy. So in terms of the lesson for the Rockets and the rest of the NBA, it's about the role. Pitch them on being happy. Tell them how you are going to use them. And in terms of the upper tier minimum guys, which I would say Vince Carter is among 
that is probably going to be the difference. And that's why at this point, we haven't seen one of those guys go to Houston. I just don't know what the clear path is to minutes with the Rockets. And that's why they're not really in an advantage state. Now, maybe that changes during the season. I think it would definitely change in the case of Andre Iguodala if he can extract himself for the buyout from Memphis because the Rockets clearly have a need for his wing defense. So they can say, hey, we'll give you X amount of minutes because we really need this skill. But in terms of other guys that are more experimental types saying, hey, why don't we kick the tires on? You can try. But a lot of these guys, they're wanting to play. And some of them may actually wait and go unsigned into the regular season because, of course, there are inevitably going to be injuries. And rather than sign somewhere that they know they're not going to play, they might just prefer to stay in shape and wait until the first wave of injuries and go somewhere that they get a call and there's a rotation spot, at least for a few games opening up, that they can prove themselves. That, with the minimum class of free agents, at least the upper tier, is what these guys are increasingly looking for, it feels like. And that's why the Rockets have not really had what I would consider a true impact minimum signing to this point. Now, we hope Anthony Bennett and maybe Terrence Jones can get to that level, but certainly you can't say it with certainty. And I think that's why the Rockets have not had as much success, at least externally. Now, they did get Austin Rivers at the minimum, which is a hell of a deal. But in terms of external guys that are truly on the market and don't have a defined role, Rivers definitely has a defined role. That's why the Rockets, in my opinion, have not gotten it done with a more upper tier name. Maybe that changes as the offseason progresses. All it takes is one phone call. And some of these guys may get a dose of humility going through the process being unsigned and they may drop their demands. But at this point, Carter to the Hawks is a reminder of just how much of a priority immediate playing time is. And at the Rockets, as far as they're concerned, that's not something they can really offer right now, at least for a Vince Carter type. Andre Iguodala, that's a little different. And of course, we'll be monitoring that situation as the offseason progresses. Anyway, I think that will do it for tonight's show on this Wednesday, August 7th here at Lockdown Rockets. And if you want more content before our next show, which should be a schedule release reaction We're expecting that Thursday or Friday of this week, although it could be early next week. The NBA has not finalized the date yet, but whenever that happens, within the next 24 hours or so, I will get a show up reacting to that. But if you want more content before then, well, the best place to get it is on Twitter because you can follow me at Ben DuBose. You can follow the show at Lockdown Rockets. You can also follow the Rockets Wire, by the way. I'm also taking over a gig, as you may have seen on my Twitter last week, as editor of USA Today's Rockets coverage. So if you haven't followed Rockets Wire on Twitter or the Rockets Wire, excuse me, please do that. In addition to Ben Dubose and Lockdown Rockets, and that's how you can get insight even in our now longer periods without shows in the offseason because we're truly in the dead zone, the dog days, as it pertains to the NBA calendar. Anyway, though, be on Twitter. Of course, you've got a website, LockdownRockets.com, Facebook account, Facebook.com slash Rockets, email address, LockdownRockets at gmail.com. All of those are ways you can access prior episodes or you can ask me questions about the team, make suggestions for the show, those types of things. And in addition to checking out our archives and all of our content, please remember that to get this show every day, the best way is to subscribe. One way to do it is with Himalaya's new podcast app, which offers personally curated playlists and new features each and every single day. You can also listen and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. And I encourage you to do so and to leave five-star reviews wherever you can. And when you get in your car or you go to the gym, you can even tell your smart device to play podcast Lockdown Rockets and listen to our most recent episodes that way as well. Once again, I'm Ben DuBose. Thanks to all of you for listening. And please come back soon for more episodes right here at Lockdown Rockets, your podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.